I'm Dan O'Donnell. Welcome to the latest episode of The Difference, a podcast that discusses the intersection of politics and economics, Wall Street, K Street, and your street, Main Street. Dave Spano, president and CEO of Annex Wealth Management, joins me. And Dave, unfortunately, we're now talking about a third bank to collapse. In fact, this is now the second biggest bank in the history of the United States to fall. First Republic Bank goes into, was it receivership? Mm -hmm. Technically, the Fed takes over and then sells it to J.P. Morgan Chase, America's largest lending institution. Obviously, Jamie Dimon is very happy with this development, but I've got to tell you, I'm a little more concerned than most. I, I see Silicon Valley Bank collapse about, what, a month and a half ago. Yep. A couple of days later, Signature Bank on the other side of the country with a different portfolio, different portfolio makeup, and now we see First Republic, after we were assured by the Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, the worst is over, the banking system is secure, everything's under control. She also said, pretty much throughout 2021, that inflation was transitory. Mm -hmm. So I guess my question is, why should we believe her? And not necessarily... Why should we lose faith in the banking system, which I believe, you know, obviously full faith and credit of the United States. The banking system is largely secure. I just believe the contagion is a little bit more wide ranging than people are allowing for. Am I right? Mm hmm. Can I it's tell okay you? Can say I say no, that you're not okay right, Dan? Dod. Well, it's very rare that, that I'm not. But well, yes, and when, if you are, you're... we never talk about it again. No, so. no, no. Ex well, that's you just, Dave. You just discovered the secret of talk radio. That's how it works. <laughs> exactly. I, and also, the secret of we had the NFL draft over the past mm -hmm. few days. The secret of Mel Kiper Jr.'s success. Yeah, exactly. Is he will say a guy is a can't miss prospect. He's out of the league in two years. Mel just never talks about him again. It's the golden rule of broadcasting. You right. only bring up times when you're right. Yep. All right. So J.P. Morgan scoops up First Republic. First Republic was clearly under an amazing amount of pressure. The stock was down 97%, you know, and the sharks were circling, no doubt about it. So it goes into receivership. J.P. Morgan comes, and there's a lot of banks who bid on these assets. J.P. Morgan comes in. They get the bid, they get 84 branches, the customers, the depositors get secure, which is a big part of what Janet Yellen is saying. And, and of course, it's good for J.P. Morgan as well, because not only does it help their depositors, they have a wealth management business. So seems to be good. The fact that Janet Yellen is saying it, she might be jawboning to try to keep confidence in the banking institution. But, you know, think about where we are. In where we were in 08, early 08, f people forget in March of 08, Bear Stearns collapsed long before the banking crisis really hit, which True. was six months later. So I'm not saying that this is clear skies because there are a lot of banks that own CRE, commercial real estate, and that commercial real estate could be anything from strip malls to offices and, and some of the stuff that is not prime, you know, that is, you know, what they call B and C stuff. That's going to put pressure, and some of these could default. There's no doubt about that. But the question becomes, is it a contagion, and does it start to become what happened in 08 and 09? 
back then, these banks were not as well capitalized. There weren't the rules that we saw in place. If you look at the balance sheets of these big banks, they're extraordinarily better positioned than what they were. So my thinking is to be careful but I don't see this as the contagion that was in 08 and 09. And here's my counter to that. You mentioned commercial real estate. We will always, in 2008, 2009, people always need homes, right? Mm-hmm. You can have more people renting than not. You know, the millennials weren't buying homes back then as they were kind of getting into childbearing age, 25, 26, 27. Mm-hmm. Um, in the, the the financial crisis, the oldest millennials. And then subsequently, I think that crisis scared off or made home ownership not quite as possible for people struggling with student loans. We are now facing, and I think we stand at the precipice, Dave, of an incredible pullback in commercial real estate just because of the nature of, A, work at home, Right. That become that became normalized during uh, COVID-19 and a lot of people just did not want to return to the office. And two, the rise of artificial intelligence, which is going to be over the next decade and farther out, taking jobs that would normally have been done in a commercial real estate space. At the same time, you've got cities getting further and further out of control with crime. You've got more confiscatory tax policies that are getting businesses to say, hey, wait, why are we putting up with this when we're just being used as a piggy bank to fund increasingly socialist style redistributive programs in these cities? So I think you're going to see a huge squeeze on commercial real estate owners as tenants just leave in in increasingly big numbers. A- am I wrong about that? Like, no, that's I, the I thing think it's got me. I guess we can talk about the premise, but the premise in at thirty thousand feet is correct. That there is no question that property is headed for some rough times. But if you want to refer to some people other than you and I, Berkshire's Charlie Munger said it's not as bad as it was in 2008. Yep. He told that to, to the Financial Times. He also said that there are bad loans and they will be vulnerable. So I agree with the premise that there is going to be some under pressure. But there are 11 sectors in the S&P 500. Real estate is one of them. And so if you feel that way, when I talk about overweight and underweight financial services, banks, you know, in re- regional banks versus, for example, wealth management and brokerage, which is doing better, or insurance companies, those are all in the financial space, underweight those regional banks if that's the way you feel. That doesn't mean that you try to time the entire market. And that's what my concern is. And that's where I think where we can debate that is, okay, fine. Let's assume that your entire premise is correct then sell the regional banks, then get out of the real estate, and then and redistribute those assets in your portfolio somewhere where there's an opportunity set. For example, you know we've talked about this before, energy still is trading at below market price-to-earnings ratio. A lot of those are paying dividends. And so as long as the Federal Reserve slows down or stops their rate-hiking cycle, Dividend-paying stocks are going to look pretty good, especially through a tough time. Now, when you talk about tough times, people can't anchor, Dan. They can't anchor and say, all right, yeah, it's going to suck in 2023, Mm -hmm. early 24. 
However, you have to be able to see through that and say it's going to be rough waters, the clouds are coming in, the waves are going to pick up, but that doesn't mean it's going to be like that forever because on the other side is going to be an opportunity set, and that's what investors have to realize. That's what people who go through a financial plan have to realize is that you're not talking about the next six months, but longer. However, you're making a political and a social argument. That's something else other than the economic argument. And this is why you need to know how those sort of interplay. And we do sort of see this this tendency to, if you're politically very liberal, Donald Trump comes into office. And do you remember the day after Election Day where the stocks just tanked? I can remember uh, an acquaintance of mine. You know, I, it was late at night and I tweeted something celebratory. And he actually responds and goes, I can't believe this. You're celebrating. People are going to lose everything, yep. everything they've worked for. Well, the uncertainty surrounding the market turned around real quick when mm-hmm. <laughs> traders realized, hey, wait, we've got a Republican Congress and a Republican president. This probably means a more favorable tax climate. Sure enough, it did. At the same time, I can't tell you the number of people after Barack Obama was elected, then re-elected, Joe Biden was elected. Oh, my goodness, we're going to see a financial collapse. It didn't happen. Now, it remains to be seen what the predicted, long-predicted recession of 2023 is going to look like. But you made a great point, Dave, and that's you can't let your feelings about politics or the state of the country more broadly dictate how you invest because that tends to bring emotion into it, doesn't it? It it does. And I can tell you, I've been doing this now 38 years, so I've seen a lot of presidents come and go. You nailed it. I remember for sure when Biden comes in, they're like, yeah, no, he's going to drool on himself. He he doesn't know where he's at. Same thing about Trump. Which is true. Which is totally true. Okay, but Trump for Trump. I I will tell you, people came. Yeah, Yeah, he's crazy. He's absolutely going to blow up the world. Uh, The same thing about Obama, not once, but twice. And so I've heard this argument before. At the end of the day, we look for companies that sell more stuff, right? Can you get more advertising in the media business? Can you sell more roughs? Can you sell more Coca-Cola? Whatever it is that you want to use as a comparison. Did you sell more stuff? That's increasing revenues. Show me a company that has increasing revenues, that manages their expenses, and then has a bottom line, a net income, and we can put a multiple on that. And that's what we look for. And so we don't get caught up in this 30,000-foot view of politics. Mm-hmm. If you invest your politics, Dan, uh, you you will get left behind. And then it becomes yep. a timing industry. So uh, I, I would be I would be, and that's the reason why I'm a little bit more bullish, because when people do their financial planning, This is the only time they're going to do this. We've done this a thousand times, thousands of times with clients. So uh, we'll see our way through this. And I'm not saying it's not going to be rough waters. And I'm not going to say we're not going to retest the S&P 500, which is significantly higher than the low mark uh, last October. So that could happen. Position yourself correctly, and it'll be a different story. If I can change topics just a bit. Yeah, please. Uh, we got earnings coming up, a lot of earnings uh, last week and in this week. Uh, we're going to hear from major companies, Ford, Starbucks. We're going to hear from Apple. A lot of that's coming out, and their earnings are better. And I just want to pound the table on that. We talk about what earnings and where they are. Earnings are better. You know, About 80-some percent of those have done better. So that that's what we want to look at. And lastly, did you see... Uh, I think you might like this story that uh, mm-hmm. Jack Dorsey was just ripping Elon Musk about yeah. Twitter. So I thought you'd get a kick out of that. Yeah, it. you know, the thing about Twitter, 
the the one thing that I've no the only thing I've noticed was on this verification, right? Where it's it's a little more difficult to tell if the person you're reading a tweet from is the actual person. Yep. I'm telling you, as a regular Twitter user, as a heavy Twitter user, and and to anybody in the news business who's interested in following the news. Think of it as the old Associated Press news ticker. That's the way I use Twitter. That's how mm -hmm. I get breaking news and, you know, I get everything sort of fed to me. I have noticed absolutely zero difference with Elon Musk in charge as opposed to, you know, the old Twitter board. Dorsey wasn't involved in the day-to-day -day operations for many but years. Doesn't he, I find he, it hilarious. He's got a new deal, right? Blue Sky? Yeah, it's called Blue Sky. Blue yeah. Sky. And it's just, it's it's the same thing a few months ago with disaffected liberals who are upset that there isn't going to be as much censorship on Twitter. Months ago, it was Mastodon mm -hmm. that they all tried to, well, Mastodon is about as extinct as, well, a Mastodon. Mastodon. <laughs> nobody, nobody is using Mastodon. So Dorsey's coming out with Blue Sky. Guy, uh, you know, Trump's got his own Truth Social, which hasn't gained a whole lot of traction. Truthfully, Twitter, I don't know in terms of investment how strong an investment play, although Musk is saying it's finally profitable, or at mm -hmm. least it will be profitable very shortly. Because of the increased revenue, right? Right, because of the increased revenue from the subscription mm. service where you can basically buy your blue check mark for $8 a month. Right. Personally, I'd never do it just because I don't see the value. I've got Spotify, iHeart, I've got Netflix, Hulu, all of these subscriptions. The last thing I need is another one, but that's just me. By, by the way, of, by the way, yeah, go so, ahead. so you know when it comes to Twitter, every now and then you you you're out there, man. You get <laughs> you get a little coverage like you did I, last week. Uh, I am, yeah. When it comes to uh, Lucas Van Ness, the Packers' first round draft pick, his dad. Uh, apparently, he thought Lucas's girlfriend was in the huddle. Gives her a firm little smack. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, I, I referred to myself as uh, an internationally resound you-know-what poster yeah. because I was making fun of Bud Light. Oh, by the way, while we're on the topic of Bud Light, Dave, yes, we are. That why well, now we Costco. are. I've, I'm at my local Costco. Yeah. Massive amounts of Bud Light clearanced out for $14.97 for a 36-pack. They may not want to admit it, but it seems clear to me that that boycott over the transgender endorsement from Dylan Mulvaney is, is yeah. having an impact on their bottom line. And it goes to show you, don't mix politics with business and investing, right? Yeah, no question about that. And that's why I try not to do that. I leave the politics to you and talk about the economics. But as we go in, there's a couple things coming up. You and I are going to do a presentation mm -hmm. May 17th, New Berlin Hills Golf Course. You and I are going to have a chat, which is always awesome. Uh, live, if people want to join, uh, go to our website, AnnexWealth.com, and sign up for that. called The Difference, but it is live. And then lastly, of course, folks, make sure that it is about positioning and not timing. Know what you own, why you own it, and how much you're paying for it. And to do so, head to AnnexWealth.com. Again, AnnexWealth.com. Dot com for Dave Spano, President and CEO of Annex. I'm Dan O'Donnell. This has been The Difference. Annex Wealth Management is a registered investment advisor. For more information about our firm, please visit AnnexWealth.com. 
The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. Opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect those of Annex Wealth Management, its producers, hosts, or guests. The host of the podcast is compensated for his endorsement of Annex Wealth Management. Information presented should not be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice, or a recommendation or solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risks. Neither Annex Wealth Management nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.